This is Songs of Praise. We hope this hour of musical reflection lifts your thoughts to our loving Saviour, Jesus Christ.
as I look back on the years of memories of happiness and bitter tears. Through it all there was a common thread that cannot be ignored. You were there teaching me to be your son.
thank God I'm saved. Jesus, oh Jesus, do you know him today? Please don't Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Psalm 67, verse 3.
So don't leave us those who have no hope. All our hope is found in Him. We see the present clearly, but He sees the first. To encourage, inspire, uplift, and soothe, we hope you are enjoying songs of praise.
the tears that made her blind. She felt such pain. Some spoke in anger, heard folks whisper, "There's no place here for her kind." Still on she came through the shame that flushed her face. Till at last she knelt before his feet, and though she spoke no words, everything she said was heard as she poured.
It's our privilege to share songs of praise with our listeners on 3ABN Australia Radio. Don't you see my Jesus coming? Don't you see in yonder cloud? With ten thousand angels round him, see how they my Jesus crowd. I am bound for the kingdom. Will you go to glory? He's blotting out my 
Hope you've enjoyed the program. Join us again on Songs of Praise, produced by 3ABN Australia Radio. Today in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're beginning a new book, I Saw God's Hand, by the late missionary pastor Elwyn Martin, and read by Dr. Alan Lindsay. Dr. Lindsay was acquainted with Pastor Martin. Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea. I Saw God's Hand contains some of the most amazing and unforgettable stories that you will ever hear. What God did at every turn in and through the life of this unpretentious man will charm, amaze and inspire you. Providence, adventure, danger and hardship were the constant companions of Elwyn Martin but there were also stunning successes. I Saw God's Hand is broadcast with the kind permission of Amazing Facts, the copyright holders. I hope you enjoy I Saw God's Hand. Chapter 1. Across the Bar on an Oil Drum When Alma and I responded to our second call to mission service in March 1949, our assignment was to direct the Vailala Mission Station in Papua, Before the Second World War, we had served the Lord in the Solomon Islands. Now our home was to be on one of the world's largest islands, New Guinea, the eastern half of which was divided between British and Australian administration. It lies 100 miles north of Australia's Cape York Peninsula. As I will relate a little later, our early years in school at Avondale and in mission service were marked by providences that convinced us God's hand was over us continually. We expected nothing less as we undertook our new assignment. In fact, we had not even arrived at our station before God's intervention saved my life. Crossing the Coral Sea, we arrived off Port Moresby to find weather conditions shocking, with mountainous seas crashing on the reef. To reach the Vailala district, required travelling for two or three more days by a coastal trading boat. But because of the rough seas, the trading boats were held up awaiting a break in the weather. 
After two or three weeks had passed, the men at our Port Moresby headquarters, realising the urgent need to get me to Vilella, approached the Australian Petroleum Company, APC, with our problem. One of their 40-tonne barges would have to make an urgent trip to Vilella, despite the seas, to get urgently needed drilling machinery and earth-moving equipment to the APC base inside the Vilella River. Having obtained the company's approval, our leaders asked me whether I would consider leaving my wife and family in Port Moresby and making the trip by barge. I rather hesitatingly agreed to do this, hesitating because of the seas. In their search for oil, the APC used quite a number of these 40-tonne twin-engine barges for transporting heavy equipment from one site to another, wherever their geologists and surveyors decided to establish a drilling site. An Australian captain and about 20 local crewmen usually manned these barges. After about two hours running, I was told the real reason for the urgency of this trip and the reason why there was a second Australian on board our barge. We were to go first to the La Lorki River to install a new engine which we had on board, in a broken-down sister barge sheltering inside the Lalorki's mouth. The stranded barge was also heavily loaded with urgently needed drilling equipment. Many, many times during the day, I tried to speak to the Papuan crew, but soon found that there was not one man who could speak English. My only approach to them was through the captain, who spoke the Motuan language. A long day's run in heavy seas brought us to the mouth of the Laloki. The captain skilfully handled the barge as we crossed a rather difficult bar. We grounded several times, but the huge waves eventually carried us over. What a relief to be inside. Or was it? For as the sun set, myriads of mosquitoes made it almost impossible to sleep. Some days passed while the men fitted the new engine and waited for the seas to abate. Each day I walked along the beach, watching the waves crash on the rocks and recoil again in shattered foam. Late one afternoon, we tuned in for the latest weather report, which suggested some lessening of the gale force winds. With this slight encouragement, the two captains decided to put out over the bar at two o'clock next morning, which would give them ample time to reach the Valalabar on a king tide, that is, the highest tide at the time of the full moon or the new moon. The skippers asked my opinion, knowing that I had some sea experience. I answered, I wouldn't put even the Queen Mary into seas like this. They replied, these barges will go through anything. Two o'clock found the barges moving in tandem, each under its own power, of course, trying in the dark morning hours to fight their way head-on into the sea. But after half an hour's buffeting, they were forced to turn back. The seas were the masters. The captains had no alternative but to wait for two or three hours and hope that by that time the seas would have subsided sufficiently for them to cross the bar. Toward 5am, they made a second attempt in the darkness. Gradually, we inched our way over the bar, only to find the seas as rough as ever. 
that bilge pumps had to be kept running continuously to cope with the water we were shipping. Several times during the next five or six hours, as the weather worsened, the captain said to me, Mr Martin, I wish we had taken your advice. Even though the two barges were separated by two or three hundred yards, we could see each other less than half the time. By midday we were off the notorious Vilala River Bar, known as the most treacherous on the Papuan coastline. Many a boat has met its Waterloo on the Vilala Bar. Unfortunately, we were two hours too early for the peak of the king tide. The captains, by signalling each other, decided to wait for the high tide and to attempt to keep the bows of the barges headed southeast with motors running at about half speed. At about 1pm, we were somewhat relieved when we sighted the Chinampa, a rather large APC boat. Apparently, it had come from the opposite direction. The Shinampo was also marking time, we gathered, waiting for the high tide to cross the Vailalabar. The captain decided to follow the Chinampa as closely as possible, for it had a much higher bridge, a decided advantage in picking the channel over the bar. Let me pause for a moment to explain what a river bar is like. The tremendous volume of muddy and sandy waters carried by the western Papuan rivers, and particularly the Vailala, from the faraway Owen Stanley Range, carries sediment out into the sea and drops it where the river's force abates in the sea. Skippers who know this coastline could testify that often for up to three or four miles out to sea, the lead line shows only one and a half to two fathoms of water. That's about nine to twelve feet. This depth is safe enough in a calm or nearly calm sea or on the top of a wave, but in the trough of a wave it may be considerably less than a fathom. The muddy, sandy river waters opposing the sea seem to cause a rocking motion, thereby building a vast bar. However, the volume of water carried by the river must cut a channel through the built-up sand. This channel is continually changing and can be on the eastern side of the river's mouth, the western side or in the centre. It is seldom straight and can be the shape of the letter S or worse. A channel is seldom more than 20 to 30 yards wide, often less, and at a high tide would average about one to two fathoms of water. In order to navigate the bar successfully, the skipper must be able to pick the channel, almost an impossibility when big seas are running. The Vilala River is about half a mile wide at the mouth. At about 2pm, the Chinampa began to move forward. We followed about a quarter of a mile behind and the number two barge fell in about the same distance behind us, headed for the mouth of the Vailala. Our hearts sank as we saw the Chinampa being thrown about like a cork by the angry waves, rolling so heavily that the masts seemed from our position to touch the water first on one side, then on the other. Eventually, after a terrible battering, the Chinampa crossed the bar and we lost sight of her. Before she had finished navigating the bar, we were in mountainous waves. The waves are always much larger on the bars 
than at sea. Our motors were screaming in an effort to ride the crest of a huge wave. As the wave broke, tons of water poured over the side into our barge, completely flooding one motor. Before we even had time to think of organising some way of bailing out the water, already 15 to 18 inches deep, the length of the barge, a second wave more than half filled it, pulling out the second motor. The third wave filled it. Within moments, the only part of our barge that could be seen above the water was the gate, for the barge was more or less standing upright as the heaviest of the drilling equipment was in the aft part of the barge. As I clung desperately to the gate, a life raft from the top of our barge washed past me. I had already tied my large expanding type suitcase containing all my clothes, Bible and a number of books to the life raft while we were waiting for the top of the tide. Full 44-gallon drums of fuel were being washed overboard, as well as empty ones. The crew members that had not already been washed overboard jumped in and attempted to swim the estimated two to three miles to land. The captain and I, after stripping off most of our clothing, were the last to dive into the angry waves. He was able to reach a second raft, washed overboard. But even though I thought I was a strong swimmer, I was unable to reach a raft or even a drum. Each wave as it broke just rolled me over and over on the sandy bottom. Within minutes, I realised I wasn't going to make it. The nearest 44-gallon drum with two papuans clinging to it was about 300 yards from me. Between being rolled under by each wave and momentarily getting on top, I breathed out some sort of prayer, telling my master that unless he intervened, this was the end. But if he had further work for me, then only he could save me for it. What happened during the next few moments, I will never know this side of God's kingdom. The next thing I remember was that I was within 20 feet of the two men still clinging to the drum. I clearly heard them say, Master, try to get to this drum and hold on with us until we are washed ashore. A little after 6pm, we reached shore just as darkness was falling. That meant we had been in the water about four hours and were washed ashore about two or three miles west of the river's mouth. I well remember lying in knee-deep water, too exhausted to make the last few yards. I vaguely remember my two companions dragging me above the waterline. They and I were the last three ashore. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay. questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABM Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. 
Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc., PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. The Bible tells us that Psalm 47 is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Korah was an important person in the hymnody of ancient Israel, and it is directed to the choir director. And the subject is Praise to God who rules the earth. Clap your hands in gladness. All you people, sing loud praises to God with the voice of the victor. For the Lord Most High fills us with awe. The realm of his kingship is the whole world. He has subdued nations to become our servants. The nations pay tribute to us. He chose this land as our inheritance. How he loves the children of Jacob. God has ascended to his throne with the voice of honour. The Lord sits down at the sound of the trumpet. Sing praise to God, all you people. Sing praises to the King. Make him the centre of your song. God is the true King of all the earth. So think of his grandeur as you sing his praises. God reigns over the nations. He sits on the throne of his holiness. The royal sons have come together the people of the God of Abraham. All the implements of war belong to God. He is the one to be highly exalted. <laughs> 